You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. back there now I might not be able to hear you today so as we're waiting for things to settle band to find their seats folks to get back in from the toddler ministry if when we ask the Lord to stretch forth his hand to heal before the service if God touches you then would you make sure that we know? You can let me know, and we'll get it out through text, because, you know, last week there were three people who, who let me know that during that time or at some point in the service, God touched them and they were healed, and we want to get those testimonies out, so please let me know. And also, one of the greatest hindrances to healing is unbelief. And none of us in here, I don't think, has a level of unbelief where we intentionally say, oh, I'm not going to believe that. I don't, I don't believe there's for healing. It's not that problem with us. But see, unbelief is so deeply ingrained in us that God has to release faith to overcome it. So try to be willing. Ask the Lord to make you willing to receive the healing. Sometimes we say God didn't heal me when actually God's saying you didn't receive the healing. Pauline, will you come to the mic? And again, as I say, you know the drill. We'll all stand. We'll honor God's word together. I so appreciate you guys being willing to read, and some folks are willing to pray after the message. If that's you and you haven't been called on, please let me know. If you're willing to read before the, me- before the message or pray after the message, I'll put you on the list. So Pauline's going to read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, excuse me, one more minute. Hey, that includes you, Monos boys. If you're willing to come up here and read, you let me know, and we'll somehow get to you that week what you're going to read that Sunday. So Pauline, go ahead, begin. The choosing of the seven. In those, day, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic, Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the mystery of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Hermenus, and Nicholas from Anacoch, a convert, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks, Pauline. I didn't realize I had all the, that, that had all those names in there for you. You may be seated, but I knew you could do it. That's why I chose you. So, hold on a second. Barry, never mind, we're back. There's a theme that runs through this message, and then in the middle of the message, there's an ouch period. Then we'll come back out of the ouch period and resume the theme. This young church that we have been reading about, man, it's had its shares of ups and downs. It's been a roller coaster ride for these guys. Just when it seems they have momentum, they run into an obstacle. Think this through with me. 
the disciples, they finally found the Messiah. And they committed to following him. Oh, glorious day. The Messiah, the long-awaited one, the anointed one from God. Then he was crucified. And he died. But wait, unbelievable. He came back to life from the dead. Resurrection. Oh, glorious day. But then he left and he went into heaven. However, he came back again in the person of the Holy Spirit. What a roller coaster these guys have been on. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, mighty rushing wind, flames of fire, speaking in tongues, 3,000 souls saved at one time, then souls added to the church daily. In Acts chapter 3, miraculous healing of the crippled man, so exciting. But then, Acts chapter 4, they're arrested. They're brought before the council. Doesn't look good. But that doesn't last long because they're released unharmed. And they go back out. And in Acts chapter 4, folks are again getting saved. The number of just men in the church now was at 5,000. But then, Ananias and Sapphira... They tried to deceive the church. God had to move swiftly and take them out. The mood of the church at that point now was very solemn, very somber. Great fear seized them all. But only for a short while, because it seems like moments later, more and more people believed and were brought into the church. They were up and running at full speed ahead. Again, great momentum. But in Acts chapter 6, where we are today, another potential momentum-killing, mission-killing situation. They're on this up-and-down roller coaster ride. Just when it seems like then, but then it seems like again. We've been on a ride like that, haven't we? We're on the cusp of a mighty move of God. But then... But we got through that. And we're on a cusp of a mighty move of God and we're seeing him do things. But then. But we got through that too. And now we're on the cusp of a mighty move of God. And we're ankle deep in this thing. I'm telling you, there will be a but then. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We need to be ready for that and we need to plow through that. We need to champ through it when it comes. The disciples, the church, they kept hitting this rumble strips that could potentially slow them down or even stop them if possible. Title today is Another Rumble Strip. It's taken exactly from Acts chapter 6, directly from Acts chapter 6, verse 1. There were rumblings. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. In the church. Steve, the way you prayed today, I was amazed when you prayed about the love we have for one another and the, the lack of strife and division. And, and this message today speaks directly against that. A, die, um, what do you, a preemptive strike because we are how you defined us, how you described us. But you can bet Satan's in the wings looking for a way to get in and begin to divide and cause division and strife. In our midst. As far as my experience has been, rumblings are not usually good things. Put a G in front of that word, and what do you have? Grumblings. You know, it's funny, we don't take that very seriously, grumbling and complaining. I should probably save this for later, but when Deb and I first got saved and we went to a Sunday school at Elizabethtown, the, the pastor who was the teacher, was asking the class to list some Christian sins. And they were, like, at that time, they were saying um, smoking and, and dancing and, and, of course, adultery and murder, stealing. And I was sitting there, and I'm not even sure why it came to me, but I said, grumbling and complaining. And he was like, that's it. Not that that's the only sin, but 
It's those kind of things that we take so lightly in our Christian life. We don't think they're that serious. Grumbling and complaining and being critical and being negative. Especially towards brothers and sisters. It's a momentum killer to any work of God. Steve mentioned in his prayer, not all churches are as loving as we are. And he's right. And we're not comparing ourselves. It's just a fact because I've been in other churches and they're not. But we wonder why God's not moving mightily through the church. We tolerate these things as if it's okay. And see, that's exactly what was happening here in Acts 6. All of a sudden, full momentum, but then grumbling and discontent in the church. These things tend to pop up in the church when things are going good. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, Luke specifically mentions the beauty of this idyllic community. They loved one another. They had all things in common. There were no needy persons in their midst. God was on the move. The church was meeting regularly in the temple on the Sabbath and throughout the week in other places. There were supernatural, mighty acts of God occurring on a regular basis. You notice it's as the believers rapidly multiplied, that's when the grumbling and discontent tried to get into the church. We're never as vulnerable as after a great success. When things are tough, we're on our guard. And where everything's going good, we let our guard down. The timing of this is very important to us. This occurred at the height of their success. Rumblings of discontent, murmuring and complaining is what that means, especially in secret, talking about one another behind your back, pointing out somebody else's faults to somebody else. If you want to point out somebody else's faults, go to them, please, and talk to them. If you want to judge another man's ministry, don't judge it to somebody else and get them on board with you. Go and talk to them. People hardly ever call me anymore with complaints in the church about someone or about a ministry. Do you know why? Because they've learned what I'm going to say. Go talk to them. Have you talked to them? Are you praying for their ministry? Are you praying for them? You kind of don't have any right to complain if you're not praying for them and if you're not committing to helping them become all that God wants them to become. If you're doing all of that and you still have a complaint, then go take it up with them. Rumblings of discontent in the church. Scary. That scares me. Complaining usually comes from folks who are unhappy with how they're being treated. Whether it's real or imagined, they may actually be being treated unjustly, or they just may be imagining that they're being treated unjustly. But murmurings, rumblings of discontent, complaining, usually come from folks who are dissatisfied, they're unhappy with something, and it's often how they're being treated. That starting the rumbling and the discontent, soon becomes indignant. And here comes the ouch part. It moves to being offended, which is exactly what's happening here. The Greek-speaking, believing, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. I might be a, a little different than you, but in my mind, I am thinking, are you seeing what God is doing right now through you guys? And you're concerned because you're not getting the same level of food as somebody else? If you called me about that, I might say, grow up and get on board. The apostles didn't do that, by the way. 
She got more than me? That's not fair. What have you said to your kids when they've said that's not fair? Life's not fair. Deal with it. If my kids remember anything that I've instructed them, it's that. If they hear somebody say not, that's not fair, the first thing that pops into their mind is life's not fair. Deal with it. Now listen. Luke doesn't include this incident in here because he wants to show us there was a problem in the way the church administered the food bank. Though maybe there was. The lesson here is not for the church to take a look at its food distribution practices. It's much larger than that. It's always much larger than that with God. You could also easily think that the primary topic or theme of this passage is injustice, discrimination, and offense. And it really would be easy to preach a message from this passage on those topics. In the church today at large, preaching on social justice has become a very hot topic. It may be a legitimate topic, but not to the neglect of the mission of what we're to be about, which is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's not really the main focus here today either. I am going to address the primary theme that runs through this message. But before I do, we got to get our ouch, our ouch protective gear on. Because I feel that God wants to focus on an issue, and it's the issue of taking offense or being offended. I have nothing and I have no one in mind. I completely agree with Steve's prayer. I believe this is a preemptive message from God. A few weeks ago, we had a general warning against sin. When Ananias and Sapphira were executed for their sin by the Lord, he was giving us a stern warning that in this coming move of God, there's a less margin for error, there's less tolerance for sin in general. The next week, God focused, put the, put the spotlight on a particular sin that he wanted to address. Do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. Another sin we take lightly. I knew after I preached that, attendance would not increase. That's not the way it goes. The attendance went down. Because we in, in the church today hear a word from God and we go... It's like when I ask you to move up and close in the gaps. This is my seat, Pastor, and this is where I stay. You want to speak to me, you speak to me from there, and I'll be here. But I love you so much, I don't even care. You sit wherever you want. But he started with focus on general sin. There's a stern warning to the church. Then he took a very specific sin and he pointed it out to us. You guys take very lightly the gathering of the church together. You let anything almost come in. Whereas they, they tried hard to find a reason to be a church, we try hard to find reasons not to have to go. That is not pleasing to God. Well, that was two weeks ago. Today he's going to focus on another area of sin that we take lightly. Do not allow yourself to be offended. When you came to Christ, you need to hear this. Whether you like it or not, when you came to Christ, you gave up your right to be offended. You no longer have a right to be offended by anything. These are areas of sin that we take lightly in the church and today, God wants to change that, and he wants to focus on this area. So I want to speak a word on offense. We are not to be unawares. We're not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. And the enemy is releasing a strategy. You listening? The enemy is releasing a strategy. He's releasing a scheme on the church today in the area of temptation to be offended. He's trying hard to destroy relationships. I would too if I was him. 
The strength of the church is the strong relationships of its people, as Steve pointed out. So if I want to weaken a church, where am I going to attack? I want to try and break the relationships. Offense breaks relationship. We must be very careful. We must be on our guard, lest the enemy pull us into offense. Because we think we're being treated unfairly. Or because we didn't think things went the way we thought they would go. Or because we didn't get what we want. Or whatever. You've probably heard me or some preacher somewhere say this. Churches very rarely split over core values or doctrine. They split over the color of the paint in the nursery. Or the carpet in the sanctuary. They they didn't go with, with my selection. But we'll just find ourselves another church. And we'll cause trouble there. The temptation to be offended will come if it hasn't already. We need to know God's word for handling it. I love this verse because I'm geared this way. Maybe you don't. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. This is God's prescription for preventing and handling offense. Pride can't handle this. Only humility can. Oh, what did I just say? Pride can't handle this. Only humility can. Simple enough, right? Oh, I see no amens at this point. Simple enough, right? Simple yes, easy no. But true nonetheless. I want to define this word overlook. It means to move beyond. It means to get over it. It means to let it go. It is to one's glory. God is so pleased when you do that. When, you have a, when you're tempted and you have a legitimate right to be offended and you choose not to be, that is so pleasing to God. You will be blessed. You choose to hold on to the offense, you will be miserable. It's to one's glory to overlook, to move beyond, to get past, to get over an offense. See, it's a pride issue. (gasps) You didn't just say that, did you, Pastor? It's a pride issue when we can't get over an offense. When we can't move beyond it. When we begin to grumble and complain and we begin to murmur about it and we begin to cause strife and of strife and division in the church. Boy, I'm not going to turn there, but read Proverbs 6 at some point, and it's like 6.16 or something, and it says, six things God hates, yea, seven are detestable to him. And the first six you would expect, lying eyes and a haughty look and feet that run, swift to run to mischief. The traditional thinking is these sins get more hyenas as you go down through. And the last line, the worst sin, is he who stirs up strife among his brothers. God is not pleased with that. And that's not going to be tolerated in this move of God. There's going to be swift, quick judgment. This is a word to the wise today. Just as don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together was. You can't be in a church long. (laughs) Here's a great place for an amen. Are you ready? You can't be in a church long before something or someone is going to offend you. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened already to you. We need to learn how to handle it like a mature believer. The alternate to handling it properly is a long, miserable life without much joy and without much presence of the Lord. Because Satan will make sure, if you're a person that's easily offended, Satan will make sure you are always offended. It's appalling to me, just laying out my heart here, 
It's appalling to me how many folks are not serving the Lord today because they have been offended by the church or someone in the church. Bad news for you when you stand before the Lord and he asks you why you weren't involved in the church and you try to tell him, so-and-so hurt me. I mean, I got my own stuff. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to be like, whew. But I don't want to be beside the person who's trying to use that as an excuse. I know some folks, and I do. This isn't hearsay, because I've experienced it. 26 years of ministry, you, you get a lot of experience with offense and grumbling and complaining and murmuring until they realize where you stand, then they don't call you anymore. But I know some folks, even entire families, that are always offended by someone or something. It's like they thrive on that drama. I couldn't live, I couldn't live like that. Seriously, I couldn't live like that. I don't, I honestly don't know how they exist. It's such a burden. It's such a burden. Who's not talking to who today? Grumbling, discontent, offended people are not happy. The reason they're grumbling and discontent and offended is because they're not happy. And it's because they never found their happiness joy, whatever, in the Lord. Life is miserable for them, and life is miserable for those around them. They're always negative. Once you allow offense in, then everything seems negative. Because the offense gets in and roots, gets entrenched, and you see everything through the offense. So there's no joy anymore. You're miserable, so you want to make other people miserable. It's poison. Offense is poison. Some of the people that I know and I'm referring to, they no longer even know why they're offended. It happened so long ago. They don't even know why they're not talking to that individual or why they'll never set foot in the church again. They don't even remember. They just know they're offended. Brother or sister, I have a word from the Lord, and it's this. Get over it. Get over yourself. It's so much easier and freeing to simply overlook an offense. You you say you want to experience the joy of the Lord, his wraparound presence, his supernatural acts, people getting saved. That is not going to happen if we are allowing ourselves to be offended, if we're in broken relationships. We'll say, I don't understand why, why God isn't moving like that. You know, I pray, I'm, I'm tithing sometimes, and I come to church. But why, why isn't God moving? Well, maybe we need to take a look at our relationships. But pastor, you don't know how much that hurt and offended me. I won't respond to that. I'll just share what God showed me long ago in this area. I've been on Proverbs 19.11 as one of my life verses for years, decades. And it has been so good for me. Honestly, as a pastor, and it's for all of us, but honestly, as a pastor, you can have reason to be offended quite frequently. And so God showed me early on, if you're going to be any way effective in, in the pastor, you have to learn how to overcome offense. You cannot allow yourself to be offended. So here's what he did. When I would allow myself to be hurt, when I would allow myself to be offended by something someone did or someone said to me, God would immediately or very soon make me painfully aware of times that I said or did the same thing to somebody else. I'm like, ouch. How can I be offended by them? I've done the same thing. And here's the rub, and you know this. We want God to forgive us. We want God to not hold it against us when we offend others but we want to get him to get them who offended us. 
It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. This is God's way for us as believers to handle personal offense. Did you learn something? Okay, so anyhow, I said that's not the main theme of this passage. This passage is not about injustice, discrimination, and offense. Seriously, I'm serious, but this is what something God wanted to pause in the middle and hit hard with our church. Why? Because we're all running around offended? No, no, no. I agree wholeheartedly with Steve's prayer. But because temptation to be offended is going to come. This passage is all about the mission. What? This passage is all about the church on mission. Come on, pastor. You're obsessed with the mission. Am I? Well, I'm in great company, see, because God's all about the mission. Jesus is all about the mission, and the Holy Spirit is all about the mission. And so I'm all about the mission. And he wants you to be, too. He wants the mission to be why you're, that's your reason for living. That's why you're getting up in the morning. And you know, we said this a hundred times. That's why you're still here. Why we're still here. So what we have in Acts, Acts 6 is this. It's on the screen. This is yet. You know, there's an issue with the food bank. There's some discrimination going on, and that's an issue. But there's a much larger issue again. Just like the issue with, with Ananias and Sapphira was not the amount of money. There's a much larger issue there. We mistake it when we, when we just surface read and we say, oh, man, he killed them because they didn't give all the money. Or, oh man, the, the, church was, the, the church was in trouble because there was an unequal food distribution. That's not the issue. This is yet another attempt by Satan to disrupt and derail the mission. To disrupt and derail the move of God through the church. If he could get them grumbling over the food distribution, they couldn't focus on the mission. All their attention had to go there. And then they were getting offended and people were, this is potentially... They were getting offended, and people were leaving. They were talking about each other. They were backbiting. How could God continue to work in that church? Brilliant on Satan's part, right? That'll shut down the spirit quick. That'll shut down the move of God very quickly. That will derail the mission as fast as anything I know. And that's why Luke has it in here. It's another rumble strip that's thrown in front of the church to distract from and derail the mission. If you haven't already noticed, the book of Acts is all about the mission. It's the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and Jesus was all about the mission. And we're all about the mission. I'm not saying there won't be any times, but through the entire study of the book of Acts, we're never going to get very far away from that point that it's about the mission. Because the book of Acts is about the mission. The book of Acts is descriptive of the church continuing Jesus' ministry and accomplishing the mission. This passage also makes evident again for us that every time the church gains momentum and every time God is moving mightily, rumble strip. Something, some obstacle arises that could potentially derail that church. Now, I, I kind of remember Jesus saying something like this to his disciples. Offenses are going to come. But woe to the one who causes offense. If this church, if this move of God is ever derailed because of offense, you don't want to be the one. You don't want to be the one that allowed that to get in. In your own personal lives, we're talking corporate church life. But how about in your own personal lives, whenever you seem to like step out 
Live for the Lord, renewed commitment. You're, it's getting fresh again. God has begun to move mightily in your life. And what happens? Unexpected obstacles seem to come out of nowhere. It's not always a fence, but unexpected obstacles come out of nowhere that cause us in our earthly, fleshly thinking to rethink our commitment to the Lord. It can be any number of things. In this passage, Satan is trying to introduce offense into the church, slow down, disrupt the work. So what did they do about it? We're actually moving to a close. We're through most of the ouch parts. Actually, we're through all the ouch parts. What did they do? Well, fortunately, God didn't have to kill anybody this time. And nobody got arrested. Oh, and by the way, for the very last time, because God has convicted me of it, I'm not allowed to do this anymore. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. He said, stop doing that. Then I better listen to him. So, yeah. I'm not the fondest of persecution, but. <laughs> oh, man, please forgive me for Here's what they did. The 12, the 12 apostles, they called a meeting of all the believers. That would be like the elders of our church calling a congregational meeting. Only they had over 5,000 to deal with. We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. You know, on the surface, that seems kind of harsh. Oh, you guys, you're the spiritual guys. You're going to preach and teach, and, and we're going to have to work with the practical needs. This is not nearly as harsh as it seems. Let me try to explain. The apostles were on to Satan. They were simply not going to be deceived. They were not going to be distracted. They were not going to be derailed from what God gave them to do. And they were making that clear to the church. This is a scheme of Satan to distract. We're not going to be distracted. We're going to continue to do what God has called us to do. They could have said, hey, what did the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, just tell us a few days ago when he released us from prison? Go out and preach and teach in Jesus' name. We got to keep doing that no matter what. So they were letting the church know, we can't fall for this newest scheme. We can't fall for this strategy or this attack, this attack of the enemy, this present rumble strip. But they didn't ignore the problem either. They just first made it clear, we're not going to be moved. We're going to be an example to you. We're continuing to do what God called us to do no matter what. But they acted on the problem. Here's what they did. Brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Several things to note. The apostles delegated the work. They didn't say the work's not important. They delegated it. The food bank ministry, so to speak, they delegated to other individuals in the church. But here's, here's a thing that we also overlook. These individuals had to evidence the fullness of the Holy Spirit. To Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and faith. Why? Why was that the most important criteria for the guys who were just going to administrate the food bank? Why did they have to be filled with the Spirit? Wisdom and faith, understanding, interesting thought, spiritual and practical, <laughs> spiritual and practical concerns in the church are intimately related, and they're vital to the effective carrying out of the mission. One affects the other, for better or for worse. The apostles were not saying that their work was more important than this work just that they must not forsake their work for this work. So they found the persons in the church who God was calling into this work. Every one of you sitting here, God didn't bring you here to just sit here. He has brought you here and he has made a place for you to serve him through this church. Are you in that place? Are you taking that seriously? If not, you're missing out. And we're missing out.
spiritual and practical concerns in the church are two sides of the same coin. It's like a bird that needs two wings to fly straight, two healthy wings. They're inextricably intertwined. Ministry that deals with practical needs, listen to me, don't drift off yet. Ministry that deals with practical needs must be as spirit-directed as worship, preaching, and prayer must be spirit-directed in the church. Those who are leading practical ministries in the church can't just do it out of their own human reasoning. Just as much as any pastor or apostle or prophet or teacher or whatever, you need to have the Holy Spirit's leading in your ministry. It's just as important. It's, as the, it's that important. Cannot be demeaned or lesser valued. It's just different. I'm called to this. Maybe you're called to that. We're going to do the best in whatever we're called into whatever we're called. And it's just as important to God. And without it, it won't function. If I'm not here and you're not, or, or you're not here, we won't function up to capacity. We said the other week about, what if you're an arm in the church and you decide you're just not going to come? You're not going to be that involved. Now we're trying to operate with one arm. We're trying to fly with one arm, one wing. We need you. You need us. These are the kind of things that we got away with, the, the church I'm talking about, the church. When I say the church, it's all the churches, you know, who are, who are following God. When I want to talk about our church, I'll say our church. We've gotten away with this in the church for decades, not taking these things seriously that God takes very seriously. And that's going to change. God's going to let us know. He's going to point it out. It also doesn't mean that you're exclusively assigned to a spiritual arena forever. Oh, I'm, I'll just always be in the food bank. Oh, I'll just always be pastoring. No, there's great overlap of what God calls us to do. Two of the guys who were picked to oversee the food ministry led tremendous revivals in the, in the next couple of chapters. Actually, if you're faithful in what God calls you to do, he expands your sphere of influence. Practical or spiritual ministry. Hey, we just do whatever God is asking us to do in this season or in this moment. That's all that's required of us. It was interesting. Jesus called Peter aside at near the very end of the ministry, and, and he was talking to Peter, and Peter kept looking back at John. And so when Jesus was done giving Peter his instructions, instead of saying, like Steve said, we pledge to do our best, Peter said, well, what about John? What's he going to do? And Jesus said, Peter... Don't worry about John. You worry about what I've told you and what I've given you to do. That's good instruction for us. Don't judge another man's ministry. Just do the best in your ministry. Because it's necessary for the church to be the church, to be the church that God desires us to be and to be effective in mission. Another thing to note as we close, the apostles did not assign any blame and didn't focus on the injustice, the discrimination, and the offense. They didn't make that issue the issue. They didn't make that issue the hot topic. They didn't seek out who was complaining and punish them. They simply acted very swiftly to resolve the issue. They did not give a lot of attention to the issue. They did not magnify it. That's the worst thing you can do, by the way is magnify the issue in front of more and more people. Satan loves nothing more than that. They didn't assign blame or focus for the injustice, the discrimination, or the offense. They simply acted to resolve the issue. They didn't give it attention, the grumblers or the com complainers or the issue. That just strengthens it. They gave full attention to resolving the issue. That was the apostles' focus. My guess is they didn't even investigate the details of it. They just said, we need to resolve this, and we need to resolve this quick before Satan gains advantage in the church. They would not play into Satan's scheme. 
Satan wanted them to give it attention. He wanted them to get all caught up in the matter. He wanted them to take sides. But their priority was to protect and preserve the momentum of the mission, to get past this rumble strip and get back to peak speed as soon as possible. Because that's what they were all about. Application for us. Keep focused on the mission. Don't allow yourself to be distracted or derailed from the mission for anything. In, this, in these days ahead and in this mighty move of God, we have entered. Above all else, keep focused on the mission. There is going to be a lot of news. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming from a number of different places to try and push and pull us in these days ahead. We have got to stay focused on the mission. And that's one reason, too, why we can't get offended with each other. Because we need each other. We're going to so need each other in these days ahead. We've always said that. But now we mean it. Also, these have been pretty, some pretty hard messages over the last couple of weeks. And maybe some folks are feeling disgruntled. And you're tempted to leave. Just give fair warning. You don't want to be out there on your own right now. You want to be folded into a loving, caring body that's going to keep you strong, keep you encouraged, and care for you in these days ahead. Uh, Chris Firestein, will you start your, make your way up here? I guess we'll get the band up here too, Sonny. And I'll just have a, a few closing statements. For the rest of you, this does not mean the message is over. <laughs> I need to say that because I notice every week when I say the person to pray and the band come up, then everybody's like folding up their Bibles and, and looking around. So these concluding statements are often missed. But sometimes these are the more important statements in the, in the message. So stay with me. Can you do that? So was this a right course of action? Was what the apostles did right course of action? What say you? Everyone liked the idea. That would be our church, right, Steve? Everyone liked the idea, and they chose the following. And there's a list of names there. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them. The congregation liked the idea. The church acted on the idea. They chose seven of their own who met this criteria, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, not just guys who had good business skills. That, that doesn't cut it in the church. That's good out in the world, and God will bless it. But in the church, you need spirit-filled thinking to run ministries, whether it's preaching or whether it's the food bank. Do you get that? Do you guys get that? Men who would not just administrate from human reasoning and from practical skill, men who would seek the Lord. You mean you, even, you have to seek the Lord even to run a food bank? If you want it to be effective in any kind of way with eternal effect, absolutely you do. They needed men who would seek the Lord and follow the Holy Spirit in carrying out their ministry. So the answer is yes, it was well received. But did it accomplish their primary purpose? It was well received, but did it accomplish their primary purpose? Did it get them past the rumble strip? Did it help them regain momentum? God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were even converted. Some of those guys that were having arrested were now becoming Christians, forerunners of the Apostle Paul. God again protected and preserved his work through the church. We're on the cusp of a mighty work of God and move of his spirit. As we grow, we're going to experience these types of issues. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We cannot not allow ourselves to become offended. We cannot allow ourselves to be distracted or derailed from the mission. Chris, will you guys stand, please? When you're in position, Chris is going to lead us in prayer to close the message.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what was said and preached today about, uh, you know, basically what I'm just getting from it, Lord, is, uh, you know, forgiveness. When they had that problem, they chose, one of the names I saw up there was Stephen, Father, and that's, he's also known as, like, the first martyr. And one of the things I think about his life is when he was being martyred, they were throwing rocks at him, and he was forgiving the accusers, the people who were killing him at that time. Lord, that's a level of forgiveness that's just unthinkable. Not only was he forgiven, he was blessing them as they were killing him. And, you know, we get offended by little things. Hardly anyone's ever trying to kill us. So this is a man full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, who was chosen to solve this problem in the, in the camp. And I think all of us have that responsibility, Lord, to uh, find it in ourselves to forgive. And I'm talking about a forgiveness that, that goes beyond. It, it's the forgiveness that, that kind of mirrors what Jesus did, did for us, where he sacrificed his life for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And uh, we have that responsibility to, you know, forgive everybody else who sins against us, Lord. And that's even in the Lord's Prayer. That's echoed, Father. So I just pray today, Lord, that uh, you break our spirits in the name of Jesus and, you know, make us humble and forgiving, Father. We need broken down because of the pride that could rise up in us and, and just destroy everything that you're doing in our lives, Father. We need to become humble, Father, and we've got to do that. And if offenses need to come into our life, sometimes that's just necessary as far as the uh, conditioning process that you have us go through, Lord. We're being refined in the name of Jesus, Lord, and uh, it's not always a pretty process. A lot of times it hurts, and uh, but we're also going to become experts, too, in, in uh in restoring relationships, Lord, like you restored us to our relationship with our Father. We, we owe everything to you, Father. So, Lord, just help us, uh, you know, handle offenses and uh, give us the right strategies to bring everything back into reconciliation. We do this all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, it brings us all together. So, Father, I just thank you for the message today, Lord, and uh, I pray that you just, you know, bring us together and keep us safe. In your name, till we get home to you in heaven, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.